All right, Deja, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to do a little intro for, for the listeners. Most are probably returning, but some perhaps are new. We are now in season three, which is focusing on adoption of marketing mindset in the employee experience. And I often get stopped right there and go, wait a second, what do you mean by marketing mindset? And also, we know what employee experience is, but what do you mean by employee experience? So I'm going to quickly define it, and then we're going to launch into our podcast. But my marketing mindset, I'm literally talking about copy-paste of some of our methodologies and approaches, things that work externally with our customers. What can we learn from to adapt to this internal audience? And when I talk about the employee experience, maybe the holy grail would be all touch points one day. Literally, every touch point, just a customer experience, but we're not going to start there. So where are we going to begin? Well, we're going to begin where things hurt the most for organizations. Biggest pain points are coming up over and over again, whether it be in recruiting, perhaps internal communications. We're also going to look at areas that require lots of attention from um, creating impact internally on retention and performance and getting teams excited. And I met Deja and she talked about running an internal campaign that led to 80% attendance, a summer picnic attendance to be precise. And I was like, whoa, 80%. And then I learned what she did. And I was like, this is incredible. How do we people process technology of this emerging market? I keep saying that over and over again. So we've got the people here. In this case, we've got the process. How do we now build technology to replicate? But I want to begin with something you said multiple times, Deja. Let's jump into it. You said PR down, feedback up. Sure. I've, heard, I've never heard that exactly like that before. What did you mean by it? When did you begin to use that term and why? I think I, I think I came up with that particular phrase somewhere in the last year in a conversation with some peers in my industry. What I really mean by that is I have conversations and communicate with employees on a regular basis. Really one-to-one -one communication is important and valued here. Um, and so I take that feedback in an aggregated format um, to my leaders, right? And I have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them as well. And I'm hearing what they have to say and I'm sharing what I'm, quote unquote, what I'm hearing. Uh, and, then, right. and then the PR down is to take their, the insights I gain from my conversations with them and help my employees who are maybe not quite understanding why decisions are being made or, or not understanding the timeline of things and helping to be the public relations of my leadership to my employees. So sharing the storyline, sort of the storytelling of, of of what I'm hearing from those conversations with with the employee base. I love the public relations. I, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago, just a quick detour for us. She said, my role is internal communication and employer brand Yep. as one title. And I was like, so employer brand uh, is for recruiting. And internal communication is for when you're on board. Ah, so we're a we care about our brand when we're recruiting. We care about our brand when we are talking to our customers. But now that you're on board, it's internal comms. And you said PR. So I, I, I'm just fascinated by it. Was there a moment in your career when you started to think about internal audiences from a perspective of, you know, similar to customers, thinking about them as from a kind of a PR perspective. I, Talk to me about that, if you will. I really think it was the pandemic that made me rethink and reshape the way that I 
think about my coworkers. Um, when we were all in the office together, they were very much my coworkers. It was much easier to get that personalized conversations one-on-one, you know, walk up to somebody's desk and get their input on something. But when we went fully remote during the pandemic, I had to think about them on a broader spectrum. Um, And then additionally, they themselves were separated from each other and from those personal conversations with our leaders uh, that they they would also have. So I had to become a bridge between departments, between leaders and individual contributors. I had to become that that sort of communication hub, um, which is where I think the the idea of being feedback up and PR down uh, came from. I think it's necessity is the mother of all invention. Truly. If I can... Um, Deja, so, so when you and I first connected, I think it was a few months ago, and I said to you, adoption of marketing mindset. If, tell me if I'm mistaken, but you're, you're part of a group that I think was in violent agreement, specifically with the term marketing internally. What was going through your mind when I shared this concept? When were you first exposed to the idea of marketing to employees? Because it truly is an emerging market. I meet people every day. And many of them look at me, wait a second, did you say marketing? You mean customers? No, employees. But some, like you, just get excited. Yeah. When did it first come into your world? It was totally organic. Again, I think the pandemic was part of that. Shortly after the the fully remote, uh, so 2020, people were still riding on the um, social currency of being together, of pre-pandemic social currency. And then in 2021, you started to see that fade. And so my department, my team's role was to try to drive that collaboration and that communication and that community back. And to do that, we had to convince our employees, our customers, um, who like what what value they gained from spending time doing something other than their day job or spending time with their families, right? We're, we're, compete, we're competing with lots of priorities and we're low on the totem pole mm-hmm. and we know it. So we, it's a, a customer you're compete for a customer you're competing for for resources like financial resources for our employees we're competing for time resources um, and energy resources so we're asking our employees to take time out of their day when they could be having lunch with their kid or they could be spending time on prepping for tomorrow's meetings etc to do something that doesn't immediately feel valuable but when you do it over and over again and when you build those relationships the value the value is um invisible almost and it, and it becomes the glue that ties the organization together it becomes the um the reduced reduction of friction from cross-department collaboration and communication so that that value is there but it's really invisible to the employee especially when you're they're thinking about do i really want to spend an hour on another zoom call today that i'm not it's not going to be productive in that way um, so my, my team had to think about how do we market, how do we market these events and activities um, to our employees in a way that gives them some reason for spending time with us? Uh, what is their, what's their purpose? So sometimes you know, when it was fully remote activities, it was about um, highlighting, one of my favorite things was highlighting a, a talent from one of, from inside, from our, from our employee base, because then it's not just, oh, the company paid for some magician to show up and tell a funny joke. It's no, this person that I work with has this talent that they're going to take their time to spend on us. Mm-hmm. So I will take my time and return it. So we did a couple of things like um, uh, piano concerts at lunchtime because we had an employee who was a really talented pianist. 
Um, we had an employee mm. whose son was a really talented guitarist. So he did a couple of concerts for us, things like that. That took the social currency, a little bit of the peer pressure um, as a marketing tool. But then communication became really important. Um, marketing channels became really interesting as people were kind of living in their own spaces. Are they on Zoom? Are they on Slack? Are they on G email? And, you know, where is calendar going to get to them? Finding out where people are spending their time, where we might be able to catch them. For sure. And I loved just the almost the vulnerability of and recognition of, hey, there's discretionary effort. We're going to have to fight for it. We, we know they'll do the bare minimum. Now, how do we get them to, to, to engage more when, where it's voluntary? Exactly. And um, we're competing as, in, in a way as, you, as any brand competes for attention, for time, for mind share. And um, you and I spoke about people, process, technology. When we think about this emerging market, who are the people in organizations that in your mind would have the skill set to market to these internal audiences? And I, you and I spoke about this, and I know this is all, we're all kind of thinking about this next frontier, but in broad strokes. And you, I know you've got your ear to the ground in a way, and, and you've rolled up your sleeves. You're actually doing the work. So what do you think it takes from a people first? And let's talk about process and then technology. And then let's highlight it through the example of this 80% attendance rate that you were able to accomplish, accomplish and how. Uh, so Deja, people first. So I think the people that really do a great job of marketing internally are your culture leaders. Um, I, and I happen to benefit from having been at this company for 13 years. So I, I have a lot of those personal relationships. But if somebody's coming into this world, not, you know, new to a company, which is inevitable, um, look to the people who are culture leaders, look to the people who participate, look to the people who ask questions, look to the people who've been around a while. Certainly managers and, and leaders are, are very important. But getting those people to talk about and get excited about the event and engaging but more importantly, talk about what the value is, because I mentioned that that value is often invisible to the individual employee who's thinking about it just as a spend of time without getting anything back for themselves. But if their manager or somebody at the company that they respect from a culture leader standpoint says, oh, my gosh, I have so much fun at this. I love seeing everybody there or, you know, kind of implies what that value might be outside of um, the the time spent that that can be really powerful so you know i i can personally reach out to a handful of individuals and say hey i have i've seen that you have an rsvp are you gonna come are you gonna make it i'd love to see you there um or like oh i haven't seen your new puppy are you gonna bring your puppy uh these are just things that i think are um are ways that you can use that social currency Mm -hmm. what, what I really like in that example is that you, you're talking about meeting them where they are, making that message super relevant for them. Now, obviously, these are not scalable actions to have one person or even a team of people do that in organizations. And most of the listeners are in organizations with thousands, if not tens of thousands of employees. Uh, but Deja, Deja, let's talk about so, so the people we're saying will adapt this marketing approach to meet people where they are and the process they'll follow is, it sounds like you're running campaigns, 
you're running campaigns, how do you, how do you think about running these campaigns? What does success what does success look like? Do you measure certain things that maybe are are surprising to the audience? Describe the process. Well, I mean, we it's funny my my teammate and I um we actually do have a a campaign calendar essentially where we mark the events that are coming up and then kind of backtrack by a couple of weeks how you know when will we announce this event how often will we talk about this event and remind people about it as it approaches you know sort of getting as it gets closer we're talking about it more regularly we're trying not to have more than one event step on each other's communications it's very much like a marketing campaign calendar um and so in that in that way when you said marketing mindset i, I was like that's totally natural and organic to me um i think that the the process of of figuring out what what channels of communication and on what timeline emails a longer term timeline slack is maybe a little bit shorter timeline um is really powerful in, in, in identifying or in navigating those campaigns. And when you, when you're running a campaign, do you think about the segmentation piece? So you're, you know, you, the, this summer picnic is coming up and you say, okay, on this day is the first communication. Then the second communication, is it sent even to those who have already uh, enrolled or, or RSVP'd or not? And if not, then how do you, so talk to me a little bit about how you're segmenting, even if you're doing it manually, how far, how far, what's the effort to make it as relevant as possible? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We do do everything manually here. Part of that's because we're small, part of that's because we're budget conscious. Um, so I think to begin with, I'm, I'm doing wide campaigns. I'm doing all employee emails. I'm doing um, public Slack channels because the idea is cast a wide net. Even those who have RSVP'd, keep it on their minds so they're talking to each other about it. Um, and then I start to get into um, some more segmented where I'll reach out just to my manager channels or just my manager um, uh, email group or uh, I'll reach out to the pets Share, share for the for this example for the summer picnic we were inviting employees and their pets as opposed to employees and their families because mm. pets don't cost anything from the caterer um so i reached out to our pet share channel which is a pretty which is a lively channel and became much more lively during the pandemic as many people know um and i said hey mm -hmm. you know we're having pets here we'd love to meet all of your pandemic puppies sort of a roll call who's bringing who's bringing their pets and what that did is it is it created um some interactivity it created a little bit of a FOMO, right? If somebody, if three people said, oh, here's my dog, Charlie, and I'm going to bring my dog. And somebody said, oh, well, I want to meet Charlie. Here's my dog. I'm going to bring. So that was a fun one. And then I think as we got closer and the percentage of total employees who hadn't yet RSVP'd one way or another um, got smaller, I realized, okay, so now the noise is going to become um, just disruptive instead of beneficial. So that's where I started to slim down where I was only uh, responding to only reaching out to people who hadn't yet RSVP'd. Um, and it started with just a, hey, if you're seeing this, it's because I don't have an RSVP from you. And then all the way down to about two weeks before the event, reaching out a week or so before the event, reaching out to individuals saying, hey, I noticed you haven't RSVP'd. Are you going to make it? And some of that's leaning on the, you know, oh, you know, help me get my headcount right. And some of that's leaning on the, gee, I'd really love to see you. I haven't seen you in three years in person. Isn't this exciting? Um, so there was, there was some spend of that social currency. There was segmenting first by culture leaders, right? I would, 
I talk to my, my project managers and my managers. Those are my two culture leader segments where I, I said, hey, you can be really helpful by bringing this up in your large group meetings um, and make people feel comfortable spending their time at this event, make people feel excited about spending their time at this event. Um, yeah. Well, first, just an observation. I wonder if we looked at channels that are voluntary channels in organizations. I bet you discussions on pets are probably the most active and 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 i'm certain it's not like pets or kids in some cases no it's pets yeah. and and how can you i actually know that my, my wife and a few friends like when they're relaxing they look at puppy pictures and, and the videos right how can you not they're so adorable and and you creating this event where you bring a puppy i think is is also quite fascinating and interesting um what i'm curious about next is when you look at the channels that you use for this communication, by the way, it's almost like we're running a funnel, a, a, a funnel with event as D-Day. And uh, at this, in this funnel toward that day, there are certain campaign calendar events that are taking place. Um, but what did you find as channels that may be most impactful? Was it, was it the Slack? And I know for others, it's Microsoft Teams, but essentially was this the collaboration tool? Or was it email or does it depend on the audience? What, what were some interesting insights that you gained from, from this? Well, I benefit from having run a company-wide communications, internal communications survey about 18 months ago where I, I asked employees, where do you want to hear this kind of information? And it was a matrix of event information and company-wide business announcements, things like that. And I, I gave people the options of calendar, Slack, email, et cetera, and what I found was people are still everywhere, right? We don't have a we don't have a vast majority of people in any one platform or any one channel. So my team continues to act as if people are everywhere. And anything we send via email, we also send in Slack. There are some things we send in Slack that we don't send in email, but that's usually, hey, event's starting in five minutes, because we assume people are probably <laughs> about an hour away from checking their email, and they're maybe 15 minutes from checking their Slack, things like that. But um yeah, what we found is that people are still everywhere. And so we continue to be everywhere. Everything goes on their calendar. Everything gets an email with sort of the most details. Everything gets an intranet, a confluence page, so that there's sort of a static space for people to go back and refer to all of the details so they don't have to search their emails, et cetera. And then when we post to Slack, we also include a link to that page so that people can click through and get the, the most details, even if it's not all in that Slack channel. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're talking about this picnic attendance, but for someone listening, it could be benefits annual enrollment, or it could be a wellness initiative or a learning and development initiative. It doesn't matter what that is. And I think the overarching concept you and I discussed was the you know, right message, right person, right channel, perhaps right time. Um, and what I want to reflect on a bit is the message itself. How much, you know, and, and I know I'm not mocking HR world, and I understand it was born out of the compliance first mindset. And I think that the, the directionally, it, it was important, you know, not to offend anyone, but also to make sure that the I's are dotted and T's are crossed from a legal perspective. Are we moving toward making that content more engaging, more visual? How are you thinking about the content itself, the message that's showing up? Is it shorter in size? Do you take time to think about the, the subject line? When I say time, I mean from a creative, from an engaging perspective. If not all, all good, just curious, 
on the uh, with the effort that goes into creating the message itself? Yeah, well, I think company culture really drives the style and the voice of the message. Um, and certainly my HR team has a different voice than my my team, my employee experience team. Um, we're more on the fun, casual, you know, post funny gifts and, and, and that sort of thing, whereas they're, they, they're more serious. They absolutely have a voice that is welcoming and inviting, but it's not quite as maybe silly is quite is the word um, as ours tends to be. We're also telling a story. You know, for example, we have a blood drive coming up and it happened to be that my blood drive vendor was available in October. And I said, OK, we're doing a vampire themed blood drive. <laughs> like, mm. let's tell a story. Um, let's let's mm-hmm. let people mm-hmm. engage with it on a level beyond just oh, it's good to to donate blood if I'm able to. Oh, it's a vampire themed. That's even funnier. Um, we're gonna you know have have Halloween candy to help our vampire or our vampire victims recover. So that sort of thing. Um, I think that uh, yeah, my my team member and I spend a lot of time thinking and overthinking the message and the angle and we're trying to say things concisely so that you know use five words where 10 could do we're going to try to say say things mm-hmm. concisely uh, because the shorter the message is visually the more likely it is somebody is going to read the whole thing so um mm-hmm. that's where the the page of information the intranet page of information really comes in handy because i can i can tell you a story in a small paragraph and then include a link that says more details here and you're going to read the whole paragraph and you're going to take in about 70% of it. And if it's interesting to you, you'll click on the link. And if it isn't, the next time you hear reference to that story, you'll have a little bit more and a little bit more. And by the end of the, by the, end of the campaign, you'll have heard the whole story. Fascinating. And do you think about visuals? Do you think about videos just going all, all multimedia sim- similarly to what you would do with customers? We, we haven't found... Videos that require, like if I, Slack uh, Slack introduced the ability to record a video and post a video message. And we found click-through on that very, very low. Uh, people are just like, oh gosh, I don't have time to like listen to, I don't know how long that video is going to be. Click-through is very low. Um, we find that moving images are very helpful. Silly images. So mm-hmm. GIFs are very popular. Um, uh, emoji in, in the text. Like I'll, I'll use emoji instead of bullet points for my Slack messages that are maybe a paragraph and a half long, because then the emoji can kind of give you an idea of what's in that bullet point. Uh, and that's, I found that to be pretty effective. It's just interesting to think about we're moving from informing to entertaining. And, and I don't mean we're losing the informing. It's you got informed by entertaining. I just finished the podcast and it'll be published next couple of days where senior leadership team at Mr. Cooper, I was speaking to their chief administration officer, Kellyanne. She said, our executives were eating spicy chicken wings while giving an update. And I was like, I just got that visual. I can only imagine executives, you know, crying while giving, giving the update from the spice and, and everyone glued, whether it's to screens or, or in person. But it's a fascinating way to, to make it more human, more interactive, more, more entertaining. Yeah, I find that, you know, goof-ups, typos, things like that are... are going to get more engagement in the message than if the message came out clean the first time that's actually really interesting i was just i was having this exact discussion this morning just saying if it looks too good are we now assuming it was written by chat gpt is it was it now is it really formal so much consideration went into it does our brain respond to it differently um well 
I don't want to get into that's a whole other episode, but where I do want to take us is to think about technology, right? Technology, because you know, people process technology. I'm fascinated. And as a marketer myself, I think about what is the technology that would be needed for this, for marketers in the future state toward internal audiences. And uh, you were shooting awesome ideas. So just no limitations. If you were to think about a technology that would be helpful for you to do what you've done in this case, what kind of technology would it be? What would it allow you to do? I, I think that the, the most powerful thing on a scalable basis would be um, to meet the person at the channel at the time. So everybody reads their email at some point in the day. But I don't know when everybody reads their email. But if the technology knew, employee A reads mm. their email between 9 and 10, employee B between 1 and 2, and the message that I schedule for that day hits their inboxes during the window in which they typically read their email, huge. Same thing with Slack. Somebody who spends X amount of time on Slack during, you know, during the lunch hour gets the message that posts. And I'll tell you an example of that. I'm a Yahoo Mail email user, and their their newsletter, it's called the Yodel, um, which I find adorable, um, is really cleverly designed in that it's not in my inbox when I log in in the morning. It's It hits my inbox about 15 minutes after I first log in. And that can be mm. 10 in the morning or 10 at night. It doesn't hit my inbox until about 15 minutes after. So what, it ha what happens is I log in for the first time in the day, and I've got 100 spam emails and I'm literally just mass deleting emails because that's what you do but it's not in that batch after I'm done mass deleting my spam emails and now I'm reading through the ones that are important to me then it shows up and because it shows up in that window I am a hundred percent more likely to read it and it's it's just you know internet news it's not that important or valuable but I realized that it's the most effective email newsletter I have ever encountered in my life um, I would never have read it if it didn't come out the way that it, that it does. Right message, right person, right channel, right, right time. time. So you're highlighting the right time. You're like, listen, oh, it's underestimated. Yeah. The importance of right time. That's that's awesome insight. And you, yeah, you absolutely got me thinking across platforms. What does that mean? How would you deploy it? But that's all that's all secondary we are right now wizards we're able to just dream up anything that technology could could del deliver uh, are there other ideas that you may have and it's okay if not we'll move on to, to no, next totally. question i i think that from the from my side of the technology if i were able to create um, a message maybe in two formats and then it the technology itself got it in front of the users so things like being able to skip people who've RSV already RSVP'd or engaged with a message. So if somebody mm -hmm. said, as if somebody has actively dismissed a message, then I don't want to keep bugging them about it. But if somebody hasn't, mm -hmm. maybe has just skimmed over it or hasn't read it. Um, meeting channels based on uh, subjects or keywords or things like that. So if there's a conversation going on in our random channel, which is really truly the most spectacularly random conversations from one day to another, and somebody happens to say something about dogs, and then the technology recognizes, oh, dogs are invited to our next event. Hey, have you thought about coming to our next event? You can bring your dog. Uh, just little things like that, but I know the technology is becoming more capable of, of 
finding the right space and time for the messaging. Yeah, yeah, look for those signals. It's, it's continuous listening, yeah. if you will. Um, you know, I want to go back to, and I'm sure as, as I'm trying to get myself in the mindset of those that are listening to this episode, and a lot of them are always asking the question of, okay, now what? Who do I, who do I assign this to? If you were in the position of a C-level inside an organization with, call it, thousands of employees, let's not get into tens of thousands, we're not going to go under thousands of employees, and you were asking yourself, okay, I've got a, an initiative coming up, and I want to do better with that initiative. And um, you have to choose an HR professional or a marketer. I'm kind of putting you on the spot because it's not going to be an easy decision. And, 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 and if you need to tap out and you're like, Adam, I need to bring those two together, that's cool. But I, I'm finding this to be a debate, a serious, serious debate, which is more important. So I got a wellness initiative or I've got a, you know, summer, summer attendance, a picnic that I'm putting on. Should I put a marketer on it? Do I go to the CMO and say, hey, listen, I've got this initiative. Can I, can I borrow one of the resources? Can we try something out? Or do I go to my HR team and look for the most creative person I have on that team and assign it? Or maybe it's change management. Maybe it's L&D. Maybe it doesn't matter. You just say, hey, broad strokes, look for the right skill set that someone may have. How would you think about finding the right person to lead this initiative within the organization? I mean, I'm I'm huge on collaboration. I think these are opportunities for for departments to to cross pollinate. Um, I certainly think that it's a little easier to imagine an HR professional with marketing skills than a marketer with HR um, call it sensibilities. Uh, so I think, mm -hmm. especially if you're talking about something like a wellness initiative or something around benefits, I definitely want HR to be at the helm. Um, but if you're talking about summer picnic. You know, I think a marketer could have a lot of fun with that. Uh, how would you, you know, how do you get your coworkers mm -hmm. to show up to the summer picnic? Um, but uh, yeah, I think if I'm asked to choose, if it truly is a fork in the road, I think it's probably more likely that an HR professional has the creative and the um, uh, the design and the communication skills that a marketer that that are marketing skills, as opposed to somebody on, in marketing having strong uh, HR sensibilities. Well, you're not faced by the difficulty of that question. So I just have to raise the stakes a little bit and go further out and say, okay, well, let's think a few years out. I don't know, three years, five years out. And what we're discussing, you and I, is the emerging market, which, by the way, I have now discovered hundreds of organizations on this path. Hundreds. So I, I don't know if we've reached two and a half percent all the innovators. Are we moving into that, you know, the law of diffusion of innovation toward other br brackets? But I think three to five years out, there will be in every organization or most of them serious conversations about deploying marketing ideas internally. So what could we predict about that state? On the people side, not the process technology in this case, I'm working sort of people. Do you think there will be a person dedicated? Do you think there will be a person in every team? L&D, and obviously depending on the size of the organization. Do you think this, the HR, the CHRO, or the chief people officer is now marketer, which I already have cases for, and they're being brought in to say, that is a dominant skill set and we need you to lead the way. What, what predictions could you make, and we're not, I'm not going to go three years from now and be like, remember you said this? <laughs> so just broad strokes. How would you think about that future state? I think that I think that HR, I think that the people organizations, part of it is it's moving away from this concept of, of HR 
terminology, but I think the people organizations are going to more broadly take on marketing because there is employer brand, which is external marketing. There is internal marketing, which is communications and, and L and D and career progression and things like that. So I think that um, marketing skills are going to make their way into the, the people organizations. Um, I think that there's still a separate skill set of external marketing of like product marketing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that those mm-hmm. skills are probably going to make their way into, and, and I, maybe it's a specialist within the people organization that is the marketer, or maybe it's that, that people, people, that individuals heading into the people organizations are going to want to have strong marketing skills on their resume. I agree with you. I actually think it's going to be taught in the future if to, to HR professionals, but I, I do think they're specialists. It's kind of like now there are technology folks inside HR. They weren't before. They understand the world of HR. They sit in HR, but they are now liaisons to the technology teams. Um, awesome. Well, listen, what, what I want to wrap up with is really what advice would you give? And this could be, you know, uh, senior leaders in organizations that are intending to do this, or maybe it's others who are in a role that, that, that you're kind of in, who they're rolling up their sleeves, they're running campaigns. What advice would you give them to aim for results that you've seen? Like that, that's incredible what you've been able to accomplish. Um, can you share a few words of wisdom? Uh, I think keep it personal. I think really personalizing the message is powerful. Um, you know, I, when I ran my survey, my internal communication survey, I posted a really bad picture of myself over which I had laid something along the lines of two minutes of your time costs two seconds, you know, three questions costs a dollar, but making me happy is priceless, right? You know, making it personal. <laughs> yeah, That's it good. Um, it, the idea was, you know, don't be afraid to um, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to make it about making, you know, making you happy. And that can come from leaders. I would, I would love it if my if my C level, you know, posted a message, responded to an email that I sent about an uh, an event going on, going, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to see you all there. That would be so powerful as far as engagement, right? I think that just let it be personal. Let it be about the individuals. Let it be about um, leaning on that social currency because that's really where this is. Build those bonds and then lean on that social currency. And you've mentioned mentioned social currency multiple times today. And really, if we think about our personal lives, who isn't now constantly checking their social media accounts? Honestly, though, most of them don't want to admit it. But yes, vast majority now. And we're checking out what's happening. Deja, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I appreciate you jumping on and talking about future data and being open to be challenged. Um, thank you. And for all the listeners, Deja is part of our community. As you're listening to this episode, go ahead and drop your questions, comments, thoughts right below the episode and myself and Deja will engage. Uh, don't be afraid to ask questions of how do I based on, on what you've heard today. Um, also, subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, Deja, just uh, thank you for, for yeah, jumping thank out. Thank you so me. much for having me. And thanks for uh, inviting me into this community. I can't wait to participate. Wonderful. Over and out. Bye-bye.